welcome to the clat current affairs show and today we are going to be discussing a podcast we're going to be making a podcast discussing the very very landmark case the ayodhya verdict which is a very long history and a lot of it to be discussed a lot of it to be read a lot of it to be interpreted and understood in its not only political and religious ways but also in the eyes of the supreme court and what the judges did why was the decision in the favor of the hindu side now this case dates back to dates back to um some decades in the 19th century it has been a source of great communal tension in india especially since the bjp had made a demand for the temple a key plank of their political mobilization in the 1980s and it had sparked a lot of riots and deaths around the countries and then we all know about advani ji's rath yatra which spanned across various states with the demand of creating a ram temple the supreme court decided to hand the disputed site over to a trust managed by the central government which will oversee all activities including the construction of a ram temple while reiterating that the demolition of the babri masjid on the 6th of december 1992 was illegal the court ordered that the government has to acquire an alternative plot of land on which the mosque can be built the court said that the allahabad high court which had divided the land between the hindu and muslim parties in 2010 defied logic this means that the way for a ram temple to be built on the spot where the babri masjid was demolished in 1992 is clear this is a long standing demand of many hindutva organizations the bjp the rss the vishwa hindu parishad the abhinav bharat although the court did say that the demolition of the babri masjid by um the car sevaks on december of 6th 1992 was illegal it indirectly endorses the act of vandalism by awarding the land to the hindu parties it is impossible to say if the same verdict would have been reached had the mosque still been standing such an outcome further entrenches the sense that india is a majoritarian state where mob rule by the majority can be given this given the stamp the seal of the state authority the courts the case was a title suit a title suit is a dispute between ownership of land it is a question of who owns the 2.77 acres of land where the babri masjid stood it doesn't per se represent the interest of individual communities but individual litigants have come to see come to be seen as the hindu and muslim parties the hindu parties particularly the ram ramlala virajman which represents the dt himself it is said that it is ramlala himself who is fighting the case that is ramlala virajman and the nirmohi akhada they claim that the land is the sacred site where ram was born and so he deserves to belong to the hindus though the main evidence put forward was that this was the belief of millions of hindus although they did give a lot of archaeological evidences and even the 
director gen, director of the archaeological survey of india who was himself a muslim has said many times that there was indeed a ram temple standing on the spot the sunni waqf board which is the primary litigants on the muslim side argued that there is no evidence that this was the site of ram's birth or there was once a temple on that spot now why did the why did the scale tilt in the favor of the temple parties now what the court did over here was the, that the court used a principle called as preponderance of probabilities now in criminal cases the established standard of proof is beyond reasonable doubt however in a civil case like this there is a, a little a little le- a little lesser standard of proof required in civil cases and this is called as the preponderance of probabilities and it is generally accepted as probability to lean towards one side being greater than leaning to the other side now it is important to understand this because um we are going to understand what made the supreme court decide in favor of the hindu parties what the supreme court saw was that the plaintiff's claims are true and the defendant did in fact do the wrong that caused the damages the court looks at three timelines to determine possession of the disputed area to award the title prior to 1856 between 1856 and 1934 and after 1934 The possession of Muslims is accepted readily from 1856 when Awadh was annexed by the British relying on land revenue records court documents and police reports during riots however the court notes that the mosque was constructed in the year 1528 by or at the behest of Babur there is no account by them of possession use or offer of namaz in the mosque between the date of construction and 1856 for a period of over 325 years which elapsed since the date of the construction of the mosque until the setting up of a grill brick wall by the british the muslims have not established or produced any evidence to establish the exercise of possessory control over the disputed site nor is there any account in the evidence of the offering of namaz in the mosque on the contrary The court notes the travelogues of European travelers William Finch, Montgomery Martin and Tiffel Thander in the 18th century prior to the construction of the grill brick wall in front of the mosque to provide a detailed account of the faith and belief of the Hindus based on the sanctity of which they ascribe to the place of birth of Lord Ram and the actual worship by the Hindus at the Janmasthan. The bench observes that as regards the inner courtyard there is evidence on a preponderance of probabilities to establish worship by the hindus prior to the annexation of awadh the court further points out that the muslims have offered no evidence so since the muslim side claimed adverse possession of the disputed site the court held the muslim side accountable to prove uninterrupted continuous and exclusive possession even before 1856 in the case of which they would have produced the decision would have been very different However the Hindu side was not required to prove exclusive possession since the burden of proof lies on the party making the claim in a civil suit according to the principle of preponderance of probabilities Now 
claiming of title through adverse possessions also known as squatters rights is when a party occupies a land for a period of time with the intention of possessing it as its own this has also happened in a very interesting case of volga telis where squatters were where squatters had claimed that the where uh, that the, the footpath where they lived was their land and this has happened many times in cases of slums and many cases where people had occupied someone else's land and with the intention of possessing it as their own there is no evidence by the muslims to indicate that their possession of the disputed structure was exclusive and that the offering of namaz was exclusionary of the hindus lastly the court treats the entire disputed site the inner and outer courtyard as one composite unit to determine title now we need to note that in 2010 the allahabad high court verdict had made a clear distinction between the inner and outer courtyard while passing the decree on title they had said that the outer courtyard will be awarded to the nirmoya khada and the inner courtyard to the dt ramlala virajman and a one third share to the waqf board within the disputed site which is entirely illogical the supreme court treats the entire 2.77 acre dispute as one unit in this 2019 decision and the ruling i'll i'll quote something from the ruling despite the setting up of the grill brick wall in 1857 the hindus never accepted the division of the inner and the outer courtyard for the hindus the entire complex was a whole was of religious significance a demarcation by the british for the purposes of maintaining law and order did not obliterate their belief in their relevance of the garbagriha being the birthplace of lord ram the ruling has said good morning and welcome to another podcast where we are going to discuss the yemen crisis in detail the in and out of it the history and geography of it and everything in between now this topic becomes important because only a few hours ago the united nations had made an official statement stating that millions of yemeni children are on the brink of starvation why has this happened what is the yemeni civil war what is the yemen crisis overall we are going to discuss in this podcast let us look at the country profile of yemen yemen is a country officially known as the republic of yemen in the southern end of the arabian peninsula in western asia it is the second largest arab sovereign state in the entire peninsula occupying over 527970 square kilometers the coastline stretches for around 2000 kilometers yemen is a member of the arab league united nations non-aligned movement and the organization of islamic cooperation which was also an important topic to be noted in another podcast yemen is characterized as a failed state by the global data fragile states index 2019 with a very high necessity of transformation the capital of yemen is sana which is the de jure but the de facto capital or the proclaimed cap- capital is aden the largest city is sana the official language is arabic and the official religion of yemen is islam 
there is a uni- unitary presidential constitutional republic which is the de jure government and a unitary provisional government which is the de facto government the non resident president of yemen is abdarbu mansur hadi and the prime minister is main abdul malik said the yemen crisis is a four star topic not a five star topic because this is a relatively old topic and nonetheless very important for clat preparation today we join the dots in the great game in yemen referring to the indian express article and uh, published on september the 18th 2019 where we look at what exactly is happening in yemen after the big spectacular aerial attack on two major oil production facilities deep inside saudi arabia which sent glo- global crude prices soaring the war in yemen started when in the february of 2012 the arab springs yemeni yemeni revolutionary of dignity ended president ali abdullah saleh's 34 year rule the transfer of power to long time vice president abdur rabu mansur hadi was followed by massive internal strife jihadist attacks unemployment and food insecurity before we move further we need to understand what the arab spring exactly is The Arab Spring is a wave of protests and civil unrest that swept the Arab world ushered in some changes showing that peaceful demonstrations do have power in the modern world beginning in the December of 2010 anti-government protests rocked Tunisia by early 2011 they had spread into what became known as the Arab Spring a wave of protests uprisings and unrest that spread across Arabic speaking countries in North Africa and the Middle East pro-democratic protests which spread rapidly due to social media ended up toppling the governments of Tunisia, Egypt, Libya and Yemen four governments but though they seemed poised to install democratic leadership and quell government repression the uprisings also led to bloody armed conflicts in some countries including civil war in Syria, Iraq, Libya and Yemen the capital Sana'a fell to the Houthi rebels in the beginning of 2015 the houthis are shias shia zaidi muslims and they are called houthis because of their leader hussein badrein bad badreddin al houthi whom abdullah saleh's army had killed in 2004 they sana after sana fell in 2015 the houthis um the houthis backed by saleh and yemeni forces loyal to him pressed on Hadi fled to Aden and in March that year to Saudi Arabia. This shows that Hadi is a um, Sunni Muslim and the Houthi rebels are Shia Muslims. With the establishment of the Houthi government in Sana'a, Riyadh and Sunni Arab allies waded into the war. Saudi Arabia's intense bombing campaigns over the Houthis and the loyalists of Saleh was proved logistic and intelligence support by the United States, United Kingdom and France. Now, this is not only a Saudi Arabia Yemen conflict, this has larger interests by Saudi Arabia and also by Iran. Now, we need to understand what Saudi Arabia and Iran are and why are they exactly so against each other? Now, Saudi Arabia is an oil rich nation as we know it and saudi arabia is a nation which is popular 
which is populated by a majority of Muslims who identify as Sunni Muslims, while Iran is populated by a majority of Muslims who identify as Shia Muslims. So, Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims don't get along very well. Thus, Saudi Arabia and Iran don't get along very well. Saudi has been provoked by its intense insecurity about the Sunni kingdom's great rival, Shia Iran. Saudi Arabia and the US considered Houthis to be a proxy of Iran, armed and funded by the regime in Tehran. Yemen's coastline along the Gulf of Aden and its unique location on the mouth of the Red Sea, the gateway to the Suez, gives it enormous strategic value. The US and Saudi have an old and deep relationship. The Americans started to associate themselves with the military action before Trump became president. The Trump administration, which faces some pressure in Congress to end America's involvement in the war, sees Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's assault on Yemen as part of the continuing larger effort by the two allies to beat and bleed Iran. American officials have cited intelligence assessment and satellite pictures in support of claims that the attacks had penetrated Saudi Aramco's armed field, uh, oil fields and in, in fact Saudi air defense which was indeed very sophisticated, were carried out using sophisticated drones and cruise missiles that could not have originated from Yemen. Of course, they would have been supplied from Iran. But the Houthis have claimed responsibility while Iran has denied involvement and the US evidence does not provide conclusive proof to the contrary. Tensions in the Gulf are already high and the crisis suggests Trump's policy of maximum pressure against Iran could be sort of backfire in an unforeseen ways. For all his talk of being locked and loaded, it is unclear if the president has the stomach to actually strike at Iran when Iran strikes back. The war is not very popular in the US and the relentless Saudi bombing of Yemeni civilian areas is seen worldwide as being both pointless and morally indefensible. Yemen is in the middle of what has been called the world's worst man-made humanitarian crisis. International groups believe some 70,000 people have been killed since January 2016 and that about 80% of Yemenis desperately need humanitarian aid. 24 million people, which is 80% of the entire population of Yemen is in need of humanitarian assistance, including more than 12 million children. The country has become a living hell for the country's population, especially women and children. And now COVID-19 is spreading rapidly. Yemen is facing an emergency within an emergency. Sanitation and clean water are a very long road ahead. Only half of health facilities are functioning and many that remain operational lack basic equipment like masks, gloves, let alone oxygen and other essential supplies to treat the coronavirus. Many health workers are receiving no salaries and 10.2 million children don't have access to basic health care. UNICEF is uh, doing a lot on the ground to save children's life and this is before COVID-19, 2 million children were out of school. Now schools have shut, leaving 8 million children unable to access education. Tens of thousands more could develop life-threatening, severe acute malfunction over a period of the next six months with the overall number of malnourishment and malnourished children under the age of five years to a total of 2.3 million now 
this second yemeni civil war it has a lot of parties and this is definitely an extension of the iran saudi arabia proxy conflict as we saw a few minutes ago they in 2018 the united nations has warned that 13 million yemeni civilians faced starvation in what it could become the worst famine in the world in 100 years which is which is soon becoming true now this was all for the three star topic of the yemen crisis we will soon be back with another podcast thank you